Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today, well, we're not only somewhere new, we're with someone very, very exciting. She is the founder of not one, but two exceptional companies. It's Jo Malone. Hello. Hi. How are we in your studio? <laughs> we are. We are in the, what is the candle uh, cocktail bar, which is no alcohol consumed, but we do make candles here. There's but a yeah. Bunsen burner. That's all the order. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, that's I, all you I'm need to know. I'm the only one able to use the Bunsen burner. Oh, really? Yeah, health and safety. Very, very true. Very, very true. We used to have a, a ballet school, well, we, a drama school because everything sort of doubled up in rooms our science room actually became our ballet studio mm. so I was very accustomed to you know getting my leg over uh, <laughs> the Bunsen burner it's um, taking me back I, I, I can't say I share the same uh, <laughs> experience good to know experience <laughs> It's a good kickoff for the podcast. It's all about mothers. <laughs> Getting your leg over on a Bunsen burner, yeah. yeah. Well, not in that way, Joe. Come on, don't lower the tone. <laughs> right. Start again. <laughs> so, obviously, we know that you have, you, you founded Joe Malone and now you yes. have Joe Loves. Yes. You're a very busy lady. But isn't everybody? You know, it's so funny when you say that to, to when, when people say that to you, it's like, well, all of us are busy. Yeah. You know, all of us are, are busy every single day doing the things that we do and building and creating. This isn't a business or a job to me at all. It's my best friend and it's my way of life. And I love getting up early in the morning. I love going to work and I love coming home and cooking dinner for my family. And I feel like, you know, I feel fulfilled from that. Do you feel like you've got the balance right? Oh, no. <laughs> Some days I excel and I'm so proud of myself and some days I completely fluff it up and I get everything wrong. So work-life balance, what does that mean? I, I mean, always feel a bit on edge when I have a day that feels good because <laughs> I know it's going to fall apart. Oh no, I get myself a big glass of wine at the end of the day and I think, <laughs> well done Joe. well done. And then there's days that, that you get everything wrong and you're running from A to B but that is just... You know, that's just part of life. This pursuit of trying to find perfection, though, in mm. everything we do is really destructive because actually the joy of doing something is getting up and walking towards it. Sometimes, you know, I make terrible mistakes. I have as a mum, I have as a businesswoman, I have as a wife, but that's okay. You know, that's part of life and part of learning. Mm. I think there's probably a bigger pressure to get the things perfect at the moment because of social media. And I think yes. that's why yeah. having, you know, so I wrote a book called Happy Mum, Happy Baby. And that's where this whole podcast has grown out of. You know, it's I, I, I wanted to take away that 
perception that there is perfection, mm. you know, mm. and that we're all getting it right. Because I think so many of us feel like we're not getting it right. And actually opening that conversation is the mm. best thing that we can do for other mums, other dads, other humans. You know. Because people identify, you know, when you show people the crap, I mean, when I, when I wrote my book, I put the really painful moments in my life and the really happy moments mm. in my life. And I think when you allow people to identify with you and see that you're not this perfect per- person, it gives other people that, that sense it's okay, it's all yeah. right not to. And also to be able to laugh at your mistakes, yeah. you know, to find your sense of humour you know, sometimes the, the the days that have gone so horribly wrong are the funniest, aren't they? When mm-hmm. you look back in hindsight and you sit and, you know, oh, mum got it so wrong today, dad. Um, and I don't mind that. I don't yeah. mind that sort of sense of humour and family and it's it's okay. And then other people then feel that it's all right for them not to have it perfect all the time. Mm. Well, I think people will be quite surprised about your background because I think you see your brands and they are you know they are perfect brands they're so slick and beautiful have many of your products at home so I think I've always seen you as a businesswoman who is not perfect I don't I don't believe anyone's perfect but very well put together and and I think actually your upbringing it's surprising it was very it's very well I grew up on a council estate in Bexley Heath in Kent two up two down and when people first meet me and I say I grew up on a council estate in America, they go, oh, what was, was it like Downton Abbey? And it's like, <laughs> no. Yes, yes I, I grew up. It <laughs> really like Downton Abbey. It was a two up, two down. It was what they call the projects. And right. you can see the horror on their faces. Um, but I had, I had a really different childhood. Mm. You know, my childhood was not particularly easy, but it was a happy childhood. My mum and my dad were very creative parents. So really from the age of 11, it was up to me to make sure there was a meal on the table. Really? But I thought everybody lived that life. Mm. You know, when you're a child and you're growing up. And I, yeah, I was beyond my years at a very young age. My dad was a brilliant artist. He was a member of the Magic Circle and he used to like poker. So at the weekends, I would do the markets with my dad and go and sell the paintings I was Debbie McGee for him in magic <laughs> on a Sunday. So, so you I can would tell us how all those tricks work. <laughs> I know how most of them work. But also being a magician, he would play sometimes with marked cards. So he would teach me what cards were in everyone's hands and I would signal to him as he was playing really? poker. So, you know, an eclectic childhood. Yeah. But I loved my mum and dad, you know, desperately. And they taught me creativity. They taught me how sometimes not to do things and they can be as valuable lessons Mm -hmm. but it was I was the adult and it was up to me to make sure that there was food in the fridge and we had a gas meter and electric meter under the stairs sort of a a very long way from the life I live now yeah what was your mum like so my mum worked for Revlon Mm -hmm. again a very creative very hard-working woman and through my teens and my sort of 20s I really struggled with the relationship with my mum and dad but it's not until you're a mum yourself that I think I got to a point where I looked one day and I looked at Josh and how hard sometimes it can be that I realised she'd done a much better job than I'd given her credit for, actually. She was a hard-working woman, worked for Revlon, and then she went to work for an amazing woman called the Countess Labati mm-hmm. when she was in skincare. Two great doyens of that time, Countess Charky and Countess Labati. And Countess Labati's real name was Doris Hilda Baker. <laughs> Not quite, um, not quite but, but anyway, it, um, <laughs> she created this amazing world for herself. 
And it was that woman, really. I would go to work with my mum every weekend and every mm -hmm. school holiday. And I would sit in the laboratory with Madame Labati and she would teach me how to make face creams. And that really was my golden ticket in life. And I knew, you know, from the age, I made my first face cream at eight years old, sitting in the lab, mimicking, because I couldn't read. I couldn't read very, I'm dyslexic. Yeah. But at that time, my dyslexia hadn't been recognized or diagnosed. So I just thought I was slow, but mm. it wasn't at all. But I could mimic. So I would watch her and then I would mimic with a little pestle and mortar and all the ingredients and putting them together. And I made my first face cream, but I vowed that that was what I wanted to do with my life. At eight? I knew. I knew because I tell you why, it gave me power. I saw that I would be able to do something that I was good at. And I spent a lot of time sort of going into schools and talking to children and bringing children in here in the studio, especially dyslexic or dyspraxic mm -hmm. kids, and finding what they're good at. Because, you know, everybody, everybody in this world has something brilliant about them. And I think I saw mine at a young age that it was skincare and I was really good at it. And I hadn't been good at very many things. So Did that was, give you some comfort then, knowing that you were struggling at school, but you had this other area that you excelled in? I just was so way beyond my years, which is probably why I left school very, very young. With no, I've got no qualifications. I don't have a GCSE, CCSE, O-level, A-level. I think you've done all right. Without, I think you might have done all right. I think. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of... You know, some, I, I wouldn't have been university material. I just wouldn't. Um, but then someone like you, you wouldn't have got what you've got I now out of the university. To, yeah. I had to go to work. I mean, But also, I don't know how university would have changed what you ended up doing. Yeah. You know, I think your path has, has brought you here. Like, you didn't need university. No. I think so many people think that they need to go to school and excel at maths and science and, and everything like that yeah. and then go to uni. And actually, it's not for everyone. It's not for everybody, but there's not the opportunities for other things. Mm. And we shouldn't be putting square pegs in round holes. Yeah. And I was definitely a square peg being pushed. And I found my own way in, in life. But the I think it's the opportunity. And I went to work and I was, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit, I think, was there from a young age of, of being able to, to take what I had, very little, and make it go a long way, whether that be what was in the fridge whether that be selling my dad's paintings, whether that be making a face cream, whatever it was, mm. I was able to turn and twist. So by the time I got to 15 years old, I actually didn't see the point of school because I knew how to make money. I knew how to build a business. I'd already had been doing that for the last sort of two years of my life. And what more was it going to give me? Mm. So, you know, perhaps not the right attitude, but if I had... If I'd stayed at school and I'd gone to university, I think it would have knocked some of that fight out of me, actually. And that fight has proved, you know, a, a good friend for me in mm. my life. Yeah. And you've spoken about your relationship with your mum and dad mm. and how over your teens and early 20s it wasn't the best. Yeah. Motherhood, you said, completely changed that mm. and the way that you thought of them. And I think as kids, we kind of look up to our mum and dad and think that they are meant to be the leaders. They're meant to be doing everything right. And I think it's only when you become a mum, you realise actually they're just human. Well, you you think, I mean, when you look, I remember, I remember Josh when he was in my stomach and I had hyperemesis through not for nine months. Every single day I was sick. For the whole nine months? For the whole nine months. It was extreme, yeah. absolutely extreme. And in fact, I found out that my grandmother and my mother had it too. Oh, wow. Okay. So obviously hereditary, but I had it for nine months. It didn't, it didn't let up. And I was seven stone two when I had Josh. So I was tiny and very, very poorly. 
And um, were you bed bound for most of your pregnancy? Yes. Then? Oh my goodness, I couldn't. Sm- I mean, smell. Oh my god. I, I remember at one point doing some candles, and even if I smell one of those ingredients today, I can feel that, <laughs> really? that sense of ooh, <laughs> my stomach flipping. But yeah, I was almost bed bound. I was in and out of hospital and was so sick and so sick. And I was really scared about giving birth to Josh because I didn't feel connected to this, you know, the, whatever was happening to my body. And so the night that I gave birth, it, the the day, I remember it so vividly, I was induced mm-hmm. and I was in a very safe, I felt very safe place. Gary was by my side. And it was just, for me, it was not a happy experience. It wasn't traumatic. It wasn't yeah. painful. I had an epidural, but it, well, I was so scared of that child being put in my arms. And when I eventually gave birth and um, Josh was put into my arms, I felt nothing. And all I wanted to do was to to push him away. Yeah. And that night, I mean, this make, it just it makes me feel so sad that, and it, and I do talk about. It. I'm not ashamed of what happened. No, and I think it's so during, important during that people time. talk about it. Um, so I remember going back and and lying lying in bed. And that night, when Gary had gone home, yeah. Josh was very safely in the nursery. I worked out that I was going to divorce my husband, have Josh adopted, and I was going to go and live on a desert island somewhere and make candles or, you know, I don't know I don't know what was going through my mind. I really don't. And the next morning I get up and I thought, right, I've got a plan. I'm going to let Gary know that I'm not coming back. And, you know, I mean, honestly. And this amazing nurse walked in and she said, oh, okay, um, you know, we'd like some breakfast and to see your baby. And I said, I'd love a cup of tea, but I don't want to see the baby. And she went, oh, okay. And she walked off, came back, and she wheeled him in in this, <laughs> in this sort of goldfish bowl um, little cot. Mm. And I looked at him and I promise you, I felt my body fill with love oh. from the soles of my feet. And I could smell him. It was the most amazing smell. And her phone went and I went, no, 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 I don't want the baby. And she said, I'll be back in two seconds. Well, <laughs> what a smart, brilliant, wonderful woman. And as I looked in the door, there was my husband and her. She was standing and watching. <sighs> and I touched her and picked him up. And from that minute, I loved my son. And to this day, I still feel it like a love that will. It was as though I, I became two people with the capacity to love in a second. Yeah. And when you do go through those things, when you first have a baby, don't be scared. Don't be frightened. Don't fight it. It's okay. It happens. But it doesn't mean that you can't have that amazing sense of love for your child. You know, he's now 17 years old and six foot two. And (laughs) and I still feel that same connection. Yeah. And and, well, my love has grown, obviously. Mm. I think there's so much pressure on that initial moment. Mm. There is. There is. And if you've gone through a traumatic time and, and you feel because it's a, you feel scared. Mm. I felt really, really scared. And if I hadn't, if my life hadn't taken another turn, I would definitely have gone ahead and had baby number two, baby number three. Really? But, you know, my life, my yeah. life wasn't I wasn't able to do that. But I have one son who is he's the apple of my eye <laughs> every single minute of every single day he does something or I do or he'll say something and I would look at him as he was growing up and just think you know you were worth and actually by the way the minute they pop out the sickness stopped really literally I would say five minutes I had my first meal which was sausage and scrambled egg and (laughs) the sickness stopped it's it's like that like a you know it stopped incredible that is incredible, isn't it? Did you did you stay in hospital for a long time? I was very very weak. I'd had um, yeah, I was on drips and everything, and then I went home after about a week. Right. And by that point, I am um, he literally was connected to me. They had to actually say you can't sit 
cuddling your baby all day long. It's like, why not? <laughs> why can't I? And I would just sit and gaze at him and just think the miracle of life. Yeah. And he was, I love the smell of him. The, you know that smell of a baby? Mm -hmm. It is the most magical, wonderful smell. And he had a beautiful little white cotton blanket that he was swaddled in. And he would sit there and I didn't ever, I didn't wash it for months and months and months. Really? Because I loved the smell of him as a newborn. I've been thinking about you and your nose, actually, because you've got a very attuned nose. Is that what we call it? And motherhood, it comes with a lot of smells. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of them pleasant. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about last night, I was thinking about how, how you know, if, if one of mine, I think maybe they've done something in public, I kind of have to do the wafting in front of my face thing. I've done you, that. Have you? <laughs> yes. I thought your nose would be so in tune you could tell a mile off. That's mine. <laughs> um. Yeah, well, I've done the wafting part, Have you? yeah, and just to check that it was mine and not someone else's, maybe my husband. Uh, <laughs> but, no, I've done that. Definitely. Have you? Yeah, of course, of course. And we've had some horrors, as, but, you know, on planes. Uh, oh, really? Because I was back on the road eight weeks after Josh, and Josh came with me. So we were on planes a lot. And I tell you, when something happens nasty as you're taking off and you have to sit in that seat, <laughs> you can see everyone around you thinking, oh, For you, my it must goodness. be torture. Oh, come see it. <laughs> So how how long did you give yourself off after having Josh? Eight, eight weeks. That's and it. Six to eight weeks, yeah. And then I was back on, I mean, I was back on the road really quickly and I yeah. was traveling. In hindsight, probably wasn't the smartest move of my yeah. life. But at that moment, you know, I'd been out of work for almost nine months because I'd been so sick. Oh, so I hadn't course. worked up. Yeah. And I was desperate to get back. I was opening stores. But he came literally everywhere I went, he came with me. Mm. and so I didn't want him out of my sight and when I would go and, and do a trip abroad and I didn't take him with me I was just miserable I would I remember once I was in America and I was in a Nima Marker store doing a PA and Josh would stay back home with Gary because it, so there was always one of us yeah with him and LA was just you know it was a short little yeah. flight and I remember everybody that came with a dog or a baby I just was just oh what's your name <laughs> and I was just missing him yeah. so much that you know every dog that I'd sit down and pet and every child I wanted to sit and they would say to me Joe you're here to sign boxes and sell product <laughs> not you know talk to children um yeah so <laughs> And I imagine as a businesswoman, you're used to being the one in control, having people do what you say. <laughs> when you've got a newborn, they don't follow suit. <laughs> so was there ever a feeling of being in control in professional life? But with it, I, I think some an element of control kind of goes when you've got a newborn. I don't always feel in control of it in my business life. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, I think, no, I, I don't. There's always sort of something about to happen. When he was first born, he didn't sleep. He cried and cried and cried. And it's that lack of sleep. Yeah. And when I, I mean, that lack of sleep is, I think, one of the most torturing mm -hmm. parts of motherhood. Everything else you can sort of, you know, get. But he had terrible colic and wind and I would I would feed him. I, could, I wasn't able to breastfeed at all. I was too really really poorly so and I tried and tried and it just wasn't for me yeah and I wasn't going to beat myself up over no. that either so he would get terrible colic and I would try and he would just cry and cry and cry and you just feel so helpless yeah. and three in the morning who do you pick up the phone and speak to you know the two of us were sitting there and Gary would say you know it's okay it's okay and I felt I just felt like I would never ever get through it and mm -hmm. I remember a girlfriend saying to me one day 
it's okay, it doesn't last forever. And just knowing that, knowing that it's that's not going to be your life for the next 10 years, it will, you know, and slowly by surely. But he just would not go through the night. Mm. And I remember we went on holiday to Italy and he was just, even when he was 20, he was like 18 months and he was still, he wouldn't go through the night. He'd scream and, of course, I'd give in to him. Yeah. So I made a decision. I think he was about, he was just walking. So he must, he, yeah, he was about 18 months. We went to Italy and we decided that one weekend that would be the night that we would he would go through the night. Okay. So we give him his last feed and whatever, and he's in a cot at the end of our bed. That child screamed from about eight o'clock at night until six in the morning, <gasps> five, six in the morning, constantly, and standing up in his cot. And we were oh. all together screaming and screaming and screaming. And at about 5.36, he went, ah, went to sleep, <laughs> never did it again. Really? <laughs> he went through the night. And to this day, that child is the best sleeper in the world. But we sat there with him and I went, it's okay, but you are not having... I'd give him water, yeah. chuck it at me. And he was, I mean, he was mad. And He's he was so really, hard and they're angry, really isn't it? And so I'd give him the water, but didn't want the water. He wanted milk. And it was yeah. like, no, that's it. We, we're that's not going to do now, this again. Yeah. And from that minute, he slept through the night and he never did it again. And yeah, nice, healthy little boy. Oh, so hard, isn't it? Because you would have probably had people say that to you so many times. Well, just don't give it to him. Don't. And it's very easy for other people to say it to you. It's very hard when you're the one there listening to your child crying. And it's scary. So it's got to come from you. And it's scary. But we were all in the same room together. Mm. And it was a torturous night. I mean, when he went, ugh, we went, ugh. <laughs> and I think we all slept. And when we all got up and we had, I don't know, breakfast together, it was... From that day onwards, he, he just, and I think sometimes children are, you know, that they, they do have you around the little finger. Yeah. And when you're trying to get to work the next day, you just think, oh, you know, just have it, just have yeah, it. Yeah. But if you can, you know, just break that pattern. Mm. And everyone said to me, just, just leave the, I couldn't leave him in a room on his own crying mm. though. I couldn't do that. So I decided that that was the, the moment and we would all be together. And he was, uh, it was so funny though, because he was standing up in his cot looking at us. You <laughs> will <laughs> give me milk. <laughs> She's just screaming at you. <laughs> hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The one thing I hate is actually both my mum and my mother-in-law do it. And they say, oh, I hate hearing them cry. Well, I don't like it, do I? It's not my favourite thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I wish they wouldn't cry as well. 
Not take um, on purpose. Or when they cry on a plane and they scream on a plane. Yeah. Do you know what? When you sit on a plane and you see, pe- you know, people with kids. Yeah. And, and it's like, they can't help it. No. And also their ears might be hurting. But yeah. don't, don't tut. I said, I can't bear it when someone goes. Yeah. It's like, don't tut. We've all been there. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, it, they're not going to do it for forever and ever and ever. Yeah. And you can't do anything. And the more you kind of get anxious about your child being a pain, the more the child feels it and the more the child yeah. screams. Um, but you get keys out. Or I normally always have something in my bag for children. Just really? Because if you can just take their attention well, usually it's for not a, a second, toy, is it? It's something that they wouldn't usually play with. Just keys. Yeah. Just, uh, uh, you know, what are the keys doing? They're, oh, they're sounding. And they look and they're... And in fact, Ruth, a great friend of mine, I remember being on a plane with her once and this child was screaming and screaming and screaming and screaming. And Ruth got up and lunch came round for everyone on the plane and this poor woman, you know, you could just see she was about yeah. to cry. And Ruth just picked up the baby and said, you eat and I'll just walk the baby up and down. And that, you know, and I think mothers sometimes we need to support yeah. and we need to say, it's okay. It's all right. What can I do to help? Yeah. You know, is there something that, you know, do, do you need me to do something? Yeah. And I can help. I actually stopped a lady on the train today because she was trying, she had a, a, lady, a baby in a papoose and was trying to strap the other baby mm. into the pram and he wasn't. So I just went over and I was like, are you okay? Do you need any help? Oh. And she was fine. Yeah. But I think maybe just sometimes having that person say, do you need any help? Yeah. Rather than everyone kind of ignoring what's going on. Just walking around thing. everyone. Yeah. And actually on a plane, the best thing I've ever done, I was on a flight to Australia with a 10 month old and I cried. And I think that was actually the best thing I ever did because it told everyone else that was in the carriage with me, I'm trying, I'm trying my best. Oh, and I was frustrated you cried too. Because the baby was crying. Yeah, because the baby oh. wouldn't stop crying. And, and actually, everyone just left me alone. After. I had people coming over going, You're doing a great job. <laughs> so my advice would be just cry. <laughs> or pretend. <laughs> just, just pretend. Just let a tear out. Splash your face with water. It's fine. Um. <laughs> now, Josh wasn't that old when you found a lump. Mm. Was he, was he two? He was two, 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 two and a half, three, yeah. And it was really serious, wasn't it? You got told that you had breast cancer. I, had, I was diagnosed with, um, I was 38 years old, diagnosed with breast cancer. I found the lump myself. And Had you been routinely <clears throat> checking or anything? Because no, I, I do a lot of work with Copperfield and, okay. you know, it's all about getting that message out there that we have to be checking what's going on with our bodies and we have to know what's normal. Absolutely. No, I hadn't. No. I hadn't. I, but I was, I, was, um, I was in New York and I was shooting a brochure and I just... I felt so tired the whole mm. time. I kept, you know, wanting to go and have a nap in the afternoon. And I thought it was just motherhood and hard work. Yeah. But I've always worked hard. I've always been somebody that pushes more into life than you're meant to in one day. So that wasn't anything new. And I found the lump and it was kind of right there. Called a doctor and and they said, well, you know, you probably need to go and have it checked. Called mm-hmm. my doctor here, came straight back home, went to the hospital, had it scanned. And, you know you're panicked first of all they said no hold on a minute you know let's find out what it is first it could be a cyst no point worrying could be a cyst could be anything and in fact it wasn't and that night I remember it so vividly I might cry here by the way and I went to the doctors went to the hospital had it scanned and I could see by the nurse's face that it was serious because she you you can just tell when those kind of things I went out into the waiting room and my GP, I saw my GP running up the um, corridor and that's when I knew that it was really serious. And he had been in the hospital visiting someone, but he'd heard and he, and he just wrapped me in his arms and he said, it'll be okay. He's, he's such an amazing, wonderful, wonderful yeah. doctor. Anyway, that night I was put in front of a surgeon and told that it was a very, I'd have to have a lot of tests. So I had to have, 
I'd have to have a lumpectomy. And within within a week or so, I knew that it was a very, very serious form of breast cancer and I had to have immediate surgery. And I was probably going to have to put my life in order. And when you're told that, business doesn't matter. No. I, I couldn't care less about any of that. The only thing I thought about was my son and my husband. And I thought, I'll never see Josh grow up. I'll never see him go to school. I'll never see him get married. And that was all I cared about. Mm. And the thought that somebody was going to tell me when I could die. And I just, I went back home. I found my Joe, I call it my Joe head, where you put your Joe head on and you think, you know what? No, I'm Mm. not going to have somebody. I'd listened all the way through my life, people telling me who I should be and what I couldn't do. And I never listened to any of it. And I called Evelyn Lauder Mm -hmm. and she was climbing a mountain and I said, Evelyn, I have breast cancer and I think I'm going to die. And she said, not on my shift. (laughs) And remember, she said, you make lemonade from lemons. And we went to New York. She said, I want you to come to New York. I want you to come and see Dr. Larry Norton. And that doctor saved my life. I had to go through a year of really grueling, grueling treatment. Towards the end, I was one of the first women to take chemo in much shorter spell. So Mm -hmm. I took it every five days, which if you've gone through chemo, it is grueling. And I did the first cycle and then I had to do another cycle. I had surgery. I had one mastectomy. And then we got to the end of the treatment and they found it. They found something in the other breast. So I went, that's it. Take it off. Yeah. I'm not going to go through this again. Mm-hmm. And then I met an amazing plastic surgeon called Joseph Deesa, who was the most good looking man you've ever seen. And I said, <laughs> Always helps. you've got to recreate, you've got to, you've got to give me a new set and I want to really love them. And he went, okay, all right. And he did. And he put me back together. And so it was surgery after surgery after surgery. And, you know, I look back on that chapter of my life and it was, I faced my own mortality. I mean, I was going to die. I fought very, very hard. I got the right team around me. I did everything they told me I had to do as well. I never, ever. I remember the first time walking in to see Larry and I was really cross with them. (laughs) It was almost so I blamed them that I had cancer. It was such a weird, (laughs) weird sort of... uh, Well, it's always the shoot the messenger, isn't it? How how dare I be here in front of you? (laughs) And he said, um, there are two women that walk in in this room. One that says don't hurt me, mm. just just don't hurt me. And the other is I want to live no matter what. And he said to me, I have to know which one you are. And, you know, after a year, I was the la- definitely the latter, do whatever you have to do mm. to keep me alive. But And it was Josh who was my motivation and Gary. I didn't want to leave my husband on his own to raise yeah. our son and I wanted to see, you know, Josh. And every time now I, do you know what, I never take it for granted one day, not one day because I shouldn't even be here. Mm. But when I see my son do things and I I just think what a privilege that I'm still here to see that because, you know, I might not have been here. And I now have a a young man who's going to, you know, go off into this world who really understands that what it is to love, what it is to be resilient and struggle and fight and fight for what you really, really believe. And, you know, he's... You know, some girl is very lucky one day. <laughs> now we're both crying. <laughs> was it hard for you knowing that Josh was seeing you in uh, going through that? And does he have any memory of it? Yeah, he does. So children have, have a different approach to fear mm-hmm. than we do. The frightening thing for them is when they see something happening and they don't understand. So yeah. you don't have to tell children everything. Josh bust my hair off, so we made it. Again. We made everything again. <sighs> And he was the one that took the razor and buzzed 
my hair off. And I said to him, when you touch my head every day and the day that you feel my hair coming back is the day that mummy will have come through most of this and be getting better. And every day he would come in and he'd take his hands and run. He'd say, not today, mum, not today. And I'm thinking, yeah, tell me about it. I know he's not coming back today. And he would come when I would do my chemo. This is a lovely story. I, and I had this really strong belief in life. Mm. Nothing is wasted. Yeah. doesn't matter what we go through. Eventually you'll see the learning process or good will come from it. I went to do my chemo one morning. And I used to react really, really badly to it. And right opposite, there was a swing park. And we had a nanny that would look after him during the day. And I said, take him to the swing park and I'll come and I'll meet you straight after. Mm. And the swing park was right opposite the hospital. Anyway, I finished my chemo and walked across. It was a sunny, warm, sunny day and all the kids were playing. And as I walked into this playground, this father came up to me and he said, are you Josh's mum? And I said, yes. And he hugged me and he said you've no idea how special your son is. And, and I thought, oh, what's he done? You know? <laughs> and all the children from the hospital would go and play in the park and mm. his son would, and his son was going through cancer treatment, but he w- had a drip attached to him and his head was bandaged and he looked a very poorly little boy and the other children were frightened of him. My son went over and took his hand and said, do you want to come and play? Mm. And it had been the only child. And the reason Josh had done that is he wasn't frightened of because we had... You know, he'd come in and out of hospital with me and we made it not frightening. Yeah. And and then at the same time, when I cried, he would sit there and go, Mummy, he and put his hands on my head. It's okay, Mummy, you're going to get better. You're going to get better. And he, you know, children have a very different approach to life and death mm. and illness and fear. Um, but they're only frightened when you keep it from them and you don't, you don't tell them everything. But that little boy was such a, in that playground that day, it was such a lesson to me. That And even now, Josh will always find he's not frightened of people who are different, mm. who are sick or yeah. who, you know, there's this wonderful acceptance in life. And I think a lot of that happened when we lived in New York and having to see very scary things and learn how to deal with it as mm. a child. It must have been quite heartbreaking for you having those well roles reversed and almost having him caring for you. Yeah, it was... I mean, poor Gary, when I look at my poor husband, what he went through, and, mm. and, and not, it was just recently that Josh said to me, me and Daddy would go to the park and Daddy would cry the whole time. Now, I never knew that. And, uh, you know, sometimes some stories, Josh doesn't remember all of it. He remembers buzzing my hair off. He remembers the day we went home. Mm. He remembers He remembers certain moments, but he doesn't remember all of the bits in between, which I'm grateful but he does remember his time with Gary because he and Gary would go off and go to the park and bring donuts back or yeah. do something really sort of fun. But it's funny how, when, you know, when you learn and you see the different mm. moments and poor Gary must have been absolutely petrified, but he, did, he couldn't tell me how scared he was. So, in fact, you know, the, the, he and Josh really became close during that time. Yeah. Well, you've had the reverse of that as well recently, haven't you? Not that not that long ago with Gary being poorly. Yeah, you you deal with you deal with illness in family. Gary had um, something very similar to Addison's, so and he had a, a very acute adrenal meltdown in his body, and he was very 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 poorly. And Josh again was about 12, 12, 13, going through that. Uh, but we deal with, you know, illness is part of life, mm. and someone someone 
in your family at some point is going to be sick and it's how do you deal with them. But they don't become a separate person. They're no. still part of your family and you can still laugh through all of the things, but you just have to adjust things a little bit mm. and make sure that, you know, everything is still being done and and I'm a huge control freak, so I like everything <laughs> running like a nice a nice clean ship. But yeah, I mean, listen, I've, I've talked about, you know, illness being, it's it's not all of, it's not the chap, it's not the whole book of our life. No, of course It's a couple it's of chapters yeah. and, you know, that's where we choose to leave it. I love hearing you talk about Gary though. He's the most amazing, he's my best friend, yeah. he's my soulmate, he's my business partner. How long have you been together? Uh, 33 years. We've so been how, how old are you? 35 years, we've been together, 33 Aww. married. I know, just a long, met as kids. And, you know, when we started out our life together, I mean, he was training to be a vicar. No. Can you imagine me as a vicar's wife? <laughs> <laughs> well, the vicar's Very wife good jump sales. <laughs> Cake days. Um, he would have been like the male version of the vicar of Dibley, Don wow. French. Right. He would have been, he's the kindest, nicest human being I've ever met in my life. But so we met at Bible college together. And I said to him, I don't want to be a vicar's wife. I can't. I just, I can't do that. But in a funny way, running a shop or running a business is just like running a church. Yeah. Except you do everything but Sundays. You know, you have Sundays, Sundays off. And we started out our dream together. We were two kids with nothing. And we built, so everyone looks at Joe Malone, Cream of Black Box, and Joe Loves as me. But he is the, he's the foundations. He holds everything in place. And I get all the credit. But I love that in every interview I've seen, I've seen of you, everything I've read, you always mention Gary and you always credit him. Well, not not because I feel I have to, but no, because no, he but is, it comes across so yeah, genuine. It just it's lovely. He is everything I'm not, and I'm everything he's not. Listen, there's been moments where we've had, you know, real disagreements. I bet the sleepless nights of the newborn didn't help. Actually, the newborn. Well, no, because by that point we were part of Veste Lauder. So uh, it was, I think the worst bit was when I left Joe Malone. Right. When I walked away from that brand and that five years where I did nothing and I lost my identity, I lost, I didn't know who I was anymore, that I was pretty awful to live with then. And I think at the end of that five years, he said, please, you're gonna, we're going to have to do something. <laughs> do something, Joe, please. Yeah, because I can't. <laughs> and I think I took out my frustration on him and blamed him and you know he really did nothing wrong yeah. and we have a thing in our house every day of our family it doesn't matter what happens in today good and bad you know what tomorrow's a, a clean sheet mm. and we've lived our lives as a family like that and I think that's you know that's a good healthy way you leave the bad in yesterday yeah. and you take the good in today and do you feel that that your your upbringing has shaped the mother that you are to Josh yes yeah, definitely. I am a really hands-on mum. Mm. And and I like, do you know what? I like going shopping. I like cooking dinner. I like making, you know, he's 17 years old and I still make his bed. I know that's <laughs> terrible and it won't my be forever. My brother is far older and my mum still goes over to his flat and does the same thing. And I still spray cologne on the bed sheets. Do you? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and I love doing that. And I love looking after my boys and make, and I love being, I love being a mum. I yeah. really, really do. I think it's one of the nicest jobs in the world, one mm. of the hardest jobs in the world, one of the most rewarding jobs in the world, you know, and it is what you make it. Yeah. You can make it hard work or you can make it a really enjoyable experience. And I have to say I'm strict. I'm a really strict mum. I'm not one that I've never smacked him. 
mm-hmm. and that and I wouldn't judge anybody else, but for me that really wasn't. But my goodness, he sat on that bottom stair for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Three minutes has turned into an hour. It's fine. You're staying there. <laughs> and, and he, oh, he was so funny one day. Gary, I don't know, made me cross about something in the house. And he turned around to Gary and he went, "Dad, you have to be very careful because you have to sit on the bottom set, bottom step, and consider your behaviour." <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. Did you worry the... about him? Because obviously you didn't have a very happy time at school. And, no. and my, I think now you can look back and say yeah. it's your dyslexia. Did you worry about him going to school and having similar experiences? Because for me, I was badly bullied at school. Yep. So the thought oh. of my boys going to school and going through something similar breaks my mm. heart. Yeah. So I just wondered if for you it's a similar thing or if, you isn't, know. Isn't that amazing? And looking at you now, how dare, <laughs> how dare they do that to you? Josh has had the happiest time at school mm. in I've never met somebody and he said to me the other day do you know what mum I haven't had one unhappy day at school and to hear that yeah. to hear that because I was bullied at school as well yeah. because I was I remember what one girl sitting on me once and punching <laughs> 10 bells out of me and it and then you look at it he's not had one of those when I look at the the people he surrounds himself yeah. with they are a joy they're just so such joyous young people mm. they really are he's not had one unhappy day yeah, not one. And that, I think, is a real, that is Solomon's riches, isn't it, to mm. see your child. But if I knew my son was being bullied or I remember somebody flicking an elastic band in his eye once <gasps> um, and they were kids and they were mucking around, but I was absolutely yeah. furious. And and I went to the school and they said, oh, and I said, no, I, I want this dealt with. I'm not going to go away. You are going to deal with this. I'm not going to have that happening. But that was the only time I had to. Yeah. Gosh, I don't know how I'll cope. I don't know what, how I'll a, cope. If so, yeah, if so, yeah. <laughs> Might not be quite so reasonable, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> it was dealt with. and, yeah. and But again, I think, you know what, children do stupid things. Yeah, they, they do. do. They do. And we had to learn to forgive them. Yeah, and I think even me looking back, yeah. and I'm sure you, to the people that bullied you, I look back and I have to remember that they're not that nine to 16 year old you know whoever whatever period they were that they're not Mm. those people now hopefully they've grown they probably look back and go as a bit of an idiot then they're different people now I'm sure they are got to be I hope so I hope so so at the end of every podcast I (laughs) ask you to finish three sentences so right being a mum means being a mum means for me being loved being able to love and it is Solomon's riches for me (laughs) Since having children, I worry so much more. <laughs> Standard. And it gets worse as they get older. No, don't tell me that. It does. it does. And I'm happy when? On um, Friday night dinner, when we're sitting around laughing, talking about life, enjoying life, and with any all friends from every generation, we sit down and we enjoy life. Perfect. Thank you so much for <laughs> having you. me in your beautiful shop. You're welcome. Thank you. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 